Hola a todos! Thank you for joining us! This is... Our Estás Borrachos? Estos Libros? Why it just happened? <laughs> Emma, Emma, are these books yeah. drunk? Yeah! In Espanol! Ah, there okay. she goes. <laughs> Are we drunk? Maybe. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. Y yo soy Mariana. <laughs> this is your book club with a twist, and we are your amigas durante esta hora de felicidad. This mm-hmm. month, we're talking about the chilling New York Times bestseller, Mexican Gothic, by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Chicas, I must admit that this is the perfectly festive selection for the spooky month of October. Yeah. Yes. And pretty apropos for Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh, good call. Uh-huh. I'm thrilled to further explore our Hispanic culture through this novel, Brandy, and Same. share it all with you, Emma. Yes. So, without further ado, let's get sauced. Yes, okay. <laughs> I think I already am sauced. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have another aptly named cocktail, even though we're not entirely sure how this works into the story yet. But we know there's some spooky shit going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our cocktail today is called Waking the Dead. Ooh. And it's green. More ah. thoughts on that to come later. Mm. Here to share the recipe for this devilish drink is our bartender in residence who could wake the dead with his charming looks. Oh. Ricardo! <laughs> yes. Ricardo! Wow! Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi! <laughs> Hola! Now, so, the today cocktail is called Waking the Dead. And we need to explain a little bit on the preparation and the technique for this cocktail. So I'm just going to go through the list of the ingredients for the recipe. And then I'm going to actually go deep down the technique that we need to use to make this cocktail in a perfect way. Amazing. So the spirit is tequila. And it's two ounces and a half. Mariana. Even uh, better. Yes. Half an ounce of Grand Marnier or triple mm. sec if you don't have Grand Marnier in your house. One ounce of uh, fresh squeezed lime juice. One yes. ounce of simple syrup. One egg white. A big bunch of cilantro. Mm. And a spicy bitter. The drink is going to be in a coupe that needs to be all the time chilled. Yeah. So first thing is to put the coop into the fridge. The mm. second thing, for every cocktail that calls for egg white, you need to do the dry shake. So what's the dry shake? You just crack the egg and you put just the egg white in the shaker and you shake just the egg white with no ice and no other ingredients. I'm mm-hmm. vegan, so I'm not gonna use egg white, but right. I'm gonna use aquafaba. So aquafaba is, as many of you know, the water where you cook the dry chickpeas, 
So when you cook the dry chickpeas, they release this substance that is basically the same thing of an egg white. Because wow. it's a full, it's a water full of protein and no uh, fats, no other useless thing other than minerals, salt, and protein. Fantastic. If, yeah, and if you have like a can of chickpeas, that's the water that you need. Amazing. But I'm actually using this uh, uh, aquafaba that is called, uh, the brand is called Fee Brothers, and you can find them pretty much everywhere. And so that's just the liquid? It's just the aquafaba for cocktails, specifically made for cocktails. Oh, perfect. And so after that you did the, your dry shake, you're going to open your shaker and you're going to notice a very nice foam. Mm. Now you need to be careful because if you have a Boston shaker, you're going to use one part of the, of the shaker where you have the phone, you set it aside, and the other side, you're going to put the cilantro to actually muddle the cilantro. Mm-hmm. If you have a continental shaker, you need to muddle the cilantro with the simple syrup and the lime juice in a separate glass and then uh... pour the ingredient into the shaker. Otherwise, you're going to ruin your foam. Then you can add your spirits, so tequila, I'm using Fortaleza right now, and Mm. Grand Marnier, I'm actually using the triple sec. You put all the ingredients together in the shaker, ice, shake it, again, two ice cubes, one big ice cube and one cracked ice cube, and you're going to shake it and double strain it into your chilled coupe glass, and you're going to decorate the cocktail the garnish for this cocktail are the few drops of your spicy bitter on the white foam of the cocktail. And Ooh, if you are feeling super God, fancy, you can so use good. a toothpick and like draw whatever you want with the drop of the spicy bitter on the white foam. And oh, that's wow. your cocktail. Wow. Waking the dead. Baby. Oh my God. <gasps> Goodness, that sounds so amazing. It does. Cheers. I'm so excited. Salud. Thank you, Ricardo. Ciao, ladies. Bye. Bye. All right, ladies. Salud. Salud, chicas. Salud. Just for you both. Mm. Cilantro. Yes. Yes. Oh, I got to say, I love this so much. Spice. Yes. Yes. Oh. Tequila, yes, and yes. Yes. (laughs) I really love this drink. Dead on match for what we're reading. Play on words, Strangely enough. A dead dead on match. Yeah. Well, okay. Here we freaking go. Finally, the dark magic I had been craving since our last book. (laughs) I kept bringing up that fucking dark magic and it never turned up. So here we are. Here's your chance. In this week's chapters, Noemi Taboada, our ambitious, young, whip-smart protagonist, is summoned to the High Place, a house in the Mexican countryside, by her newly married cousin, Catalina, who seems to be suffering some kind of ailment. Or maybe it's a mental breakdown of some kind? Mm. At the dilapidated mansion, Noemi encounters the strange Doyle family that her cousin has married into. They're a stoic, somewhat hostile bunch— She meets Mm. Howard Doyle, the family patriarch, who suffers from a severe interest in eugenics. Mm. And she is reintroduced to the secretive Virgil Doyle, Catalina's husband, who insists the family doctor has things totally under control 
and there's no need to worry about Catalina. <laughs> Unconvinced, Noemi decides to stick around this eerie place until she has more answers. And then she starts having some pretty interesting <laughs> dreams, which we'll get to later. <laughs> um, but what is so fascinating about starting to read this book and starting to get to know our protagonist, Noemi, we find out very early on how independent and confident she is, even though she is mm -hmm. just 22 years old. And this mm -hmm. is happening yeah. in the 50s. She studies human cultures and thus perfects how to approach and speak with others, especially yeah. with the men in her life, in order to get what she wants. So she's very mature for her age mm -hmm. In, mm -hmm. in a certain degree. She has gone on to even modulate her tone of voice to sound more in power. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, she's surrounded by people, including her mother, who say that women all have a particular, a certain place in society. Her mother goes on to say that she was equally unimpressed by these modern notions of hers. Girls are supposed to follow a simple life cycle from debutante to wife. I mean, seriously, can you guys imagine that? And I get it, it's in the 50s, but can you imagine having to deal with that constantly, which I think people are still doing? Well, I was going to say, like, you made a point of saying, like, you know, yeah. this is in the 50s. Can you believe this was happening, like, yeah. back then? But, like, this totally still happens to a smaller degree, maybe. Yeah. But, like, we still as a society teach little girls to, like, revere marriage and weddings. Yeah. Women still make cents on the dollar compared to men. Never mm. mind brown women. Like, we make exactly. even less money. Exactly. So we've progressed. But, I mean, to some degree, we're still told where our place is. So I feel like when you say, can you, when you say, can you imagine? I know. Right. We're there. Let's hope that your daughters will someday mm. look back on this time mm -hmm. someday and say that very thing. Women right. used yeah. to get paid less than men. Can yeah. you imagine that? Yeah. Like, how crazy is that? Right. And it's funny that you bring up this book being in the 50s because I actually found myself as I was reading forgetting that the book was set in the 50s. Mm, like it, it actually yeah. read pretty contemporary. And it True. wasn't until one of the later chapters that we read in this section where she mm. she brings up the fact that it's 1950. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it could totally easily agree. have just been written, you know, about 2020. Well, maybe it's, not 2020. She's a special year, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. yeah, she is a very special modern, year. Modern times. <laughs> right. Seriously. I also think I feel like we can't record this episode without mentioning it's extremely fitting that we're recording this episode on the day that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's memorial is being held. Oh, and, you're so right. And she becomes the first, the first, first. woman mm. to lie in state at the mm. U.S. Capitol, which is mm. just mind-boggling it is mind-boggling i know that in the history of this country she's the, the first. first let's dedicate this episode to notorious rbg yes thanks rbg thank thanks, you RBG. Cheers. seriously salute wow <laughs> well before i cry into my cocktail <laughs> no watering down the cocktail not yet, at least. <laughs> Make it salty. <laughs> salty. <laughs> On this train of misogyny and how women are supposed to be, hmm. one of the first things that struck me in reading uh, this book from the very beginning, it was actually like one of the first things that happened in chapter one, 
is when Noemi's dad calls her into his office and mm. shows her the letter that Catalina has written, and, mm-hmm. and he expresses great distress and concern. And uh, before Noemi knows what is written in the letter, she says, it's nothing bad, is it? She mm. asked, her tone changing. Mm-hmm. When she was cross, her voice was higher pitched, more girlish, rather than the modulated tone she had in recent years perfected. Mm. That is quoted from the book. And that struck me right away because I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I don't know about you two. I've had such a complicated relationship with my voice as I've grown up. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't something that I even ever thought about until actually, honestly, the last couple of years. Um, I've had a lot of people comment on my voice constantly, you know, saying that it's so high-pitched or it's girly Mm. or it's very specific and it's comedic and you know how like when you speak you you hear your voice in in a different way than everyone else hears you yeah yep and I was always so struck by that because I never heard that and in the last year or so I've actually noticed that when I speak to men particularly men in power my tone drops and I get way more grounded and I find this Mm. voice placement that I kind of wish that I owned all the time and I just clocked it recently and I was like how interesting I naturally change my voice to sound more authoritative or older or wiser whatever it be when I'm speaking to men of power do you do either of you have any experience with that experience with that (laughs) I mean I'm curious to know before you noticed this change though in your voice did you used to pitch up when speaking to men of authority because I feel like I don't do that anymore but I do remember like in my early 20s when I was speaking to like particularly like male professors or anybody like that my voice would like almost go up an octave it would and like everything ended in a question like is this okay you know what like it would almost be that Yes, I well, I do still do that when I'm I do that when I speak up in class, like if I'm in a class Mm -hmm. and someone asks a question and I raise my hand, it's like a total form of um, dominion. Wait, what's the word? Yeah, yeah. It's like where the insecurity set in. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, you know, like, yep. I don't uh-huh. mean to be a bother, but I yeah. think I know the answer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's fine. It's the yeah. same reason women say sorry when, when when they mean excuse me. You know yes. what I mean? Like something exactly. happens and you're like, oh, sorry. Exactly. And you don't actually mean sorry. Exactly. You just mean like, pardon me. We as women need to stop saying sorry for things that we should not be sorry for. Yeah. Yes, and ma'am. we need to stop up pitching and apologizing for speaking when right. actually we probably yeah. have a lot of valuable shit to say. Right. Our voice, we mean something. Our voice has something to say and we need to own that. Yeah. Which is something Noemi seems to like fully understand. Well, that's kind the of, thing. Mm-hmm. At the age of 22. Yeah. And, and coming from a culture and a time that's not particularly kind to women who behave that way. Not at all. They see them as something that's not, that's kind of foreign, that's kind of extra, extraordinary in a negative way. Yeah. 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 Totally. Which is why I was also really struck by something else that was said right after that when the dad says to Noemi, you know, he asks her to go to High Place to check in on her. And he says, besides, I think this is a matter that may be best handled by a woman. Mm -hmm. It might be Mm -hmm. a ploy for attention. Right. Hmm. 
like this might be one of those hysterical woman problems. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, she's being melodramatic. Yep. And he uses that word, right? He does, he does. multiple times. And they also label Catalina as metal- melodramatic as well. Like that's used a lot through the seven chapters that we mm-hmm. read thus far. He thinks clearly that this is this letter is important enough to address. Mm. But at the same time, he's brushing it off as like not important enough for him to address personally. He'll send his daughter to go and have her look fail into her classes it. to go now. Which right. I thought was weird, too. That was a little odd. I also found it very interesting that he made a note, a point of saying that how would society or the people around him look at their family if there was a divorce announced mm. within their family? Mm. Because the whole idea behind this is that maybe Virgil wants to divorce Catalina or Catalina is now suffering a mental breakdown and that will right. be the cause for their divorce. Right. So for him to make a point of this, like, well, we need for society, societal purposes, we need to like, you know, fix this before Preserve it becomes this union yeah yeah before it becomes um before black the, mark the masses on family right yeah but, but the other thing too was that i was wondering and i don't know if you guys at all thought about this at a certain point that he was pushing noemi so hard to go because he somehow wanted noemi to also suffer the misfortunes that potentially catalina is suffering if she got married, oh, is that what you mean? Yeah, if she got married or so, or just to teach her a lesson because he doesn't like the way Noemi is currently behaving, that she's so independent, that she wants to continue studying, that she wants mm. to continue growing, and she's not necessarily too fond of the whole idea of marrying into wealth. She'd rather mm-hmm. just, like, continue doing her own thing yeah, and, which does come on the heels of her saying that her dad would never approve if she married Hugo. Right. right. Because her he's boyfriend not that we of meet. wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm. So I'm curious about yeah. that. I don't know if that's going to be a thing or not, but that kind of struck a chord with me. Her dad's motives are definitely a question mark. They are. They very much are. What's up There's with these questionable there. dads, huh? I know. <laughs> What's up with that? Well, on that note, in talking about the dis- the distressed letter that Catalina has sent them, the dad says she claims in that letter that he is not only poisoning her, but that mm. ghosts walk through walls. Tell me, does that sound like a reliable account? <laughs> and I thought it was really interesting that the dad automatically assumes that Catalina's letter refers to her husband as the man trying to poison her, even though she never actually says that. Mm. Her letter just says... He is trying to poison me. We don't actually know who he is. Huh. Did you guys pick up on that? Or did you also assume she's just talking about her husband? You know, I didn't pick <laughs> up on that at all. I also just assumed it must have been the husband. Yeah, I, I also did the same thing. I, I initially just assumed it was Virgil. But then as we read on, then my obviously my mind changed about what could potentially the he, who the he could who potentially the he be. Could be. So then Noemi heads to the high place. She takes a train out there mm-hmm. and Cousin Francis picks her up at the train station. And I have to say, I am loving all of the creepy October vibes of the house <laughs> that feels like a haunted house, the oh. high place and the town that feels like this ghost town. But the biggest thing that stuck with me about this section where she's describing the environment is all the mist yeah, that surrounds the house. It kind of kept reminding me of the mists of Avalon. Do you guys know that story? 
sort of. I saw it as a child, but I couldn't talk about it. Well, so in the story, (laughs) the mist could transport you to different realms. Like there were some people who could harness the mist and use it for their power. And it Mm. could it could transport you to different realms and I think different points in time. But I'm not positive on that front. But it did make me wonder if there's something similar going on here. There's something sinister in this mist. And I wondered if it could be hiding something. Hmm. And I also thought it was interesting that as she's taking the train up to El Triunfo, which is the town, Mm -hmm. she remarks on the beauty of the place and how it's carpeted with wildflowers and trees. But the higher and higher they go (laughs) to the high place, Mm -hmm. the landscape changes and gets dark and sparse. And it's just like nothing can grow here Mm -hmm. and nothing can survive here. And if anything bad happened there, no one would see to know. Wow, that's true. Yeah, that did not occur exactly. To me. Help is far away. That's what terrifies me about living out in the middle of nowhere. Is oh, like if anything yeah. happened to me and I screamed, no one would hear me. No one would know. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. City girl and- for life. It's so creepy. (laughs) And even at the end of chapter two, uh, Noemi says, but the window would not budge. And she stood looking outside at the mist. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what if you're just stuck there looking outside of the realm that you're in? If the the mist is is now turned into a certain realm that you can never go back into reality. Right. I would fucking run. You know what? All of this also made me start thinking about, did you guys ever see Sharp Objects on HBO? Yes. The book is really good too. I ha- I need maybe I should go back and read the book. Well, the book I mean the series better, was the spectacular. Show was it, was it was so good. good. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams was ridiculous in that. Ridiculous. So for some reason while reading the beginning of this novel I started thinking about sharp objects because I started making a lot of parallels yeah. and I associated to a lot of things that were that were going on like for instance this I don't know if I should call it a mansion because it's a house but it seems like it's a mansion. It seems like a mansion. Right? Yeah. So this Doyle Mansion reminded me of the set that's in yeah. Sharp Objects. That beautiful it just, it's house. Seen, yeah. Beautiful, but also like not really necessarily taken care of. There's mm. something really like s- s- mysterious about it. It mm-hmm. seems like it holds a lot of secrets that yes. it might not be necessarily in the reality that we're in. Yeah. Also, Florence, because we meet in this <sighs> chapter, we meet Florence, who is Francis's aunt, who is the woman that's not necessarily too fond of Noemi, and she definitely shows right. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of also freaked me out the way that Camille, Amy Adams's mom in the show, freaked me out. There was just like this mysterious like darkness, a vibe that she's hiding something yeah, and that she wouldn't share over her dead body um i mean there was also the the way these young women like catalina are maybe forced to forget Mm. about traumatic experiences yes like i don't know they're being being kept tortured yes yeah right so like all of those things all of a sudden made me start thinking of this show Mm -hmm. and interestingly Interestingly, being kept sick at the hands of the woman, women who are supposed to be taking care, to of, care them. of them. I know. That's weird. It's so strange. What's the name of that disease? Munchausen's. Yeah. This is just like a little. <laughs> you know that I love my theories and I read into things. You usually write about them. So go ahead, Emma. Well, <laughs> what are we talking not about? Always. But this was something that was brought up here, and I just want to drop this as a nugget just 
to say that I think that this is going to become something later. So I'm just going to say <laughs> it. I, I think the fact that um, the author keeps mentioning that Noemi knows things about chemicals from the paint business, from her father's business, I think that, that there's going to be something there later. Because also later in one of the later chapters, she mentions that her grandfather had been a chemist. And her father's mm. business was the production of pigments and dyes. And so right. she makes a point yeah. of calling out very specific chemicals. Like she says that right. she knew how to mix zinc sulfide and barium mm. sulfate if you wanted to make lithopone. Like, duh. But I'm right. like, it, it, again, it I, was she just said kinda, like obvi. Right. Right. <laughs> she just it like was. dropped that in. So I'm just <laughs> saying it now so that later when it becomes a thing, I can say, told you so. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> That's Got all it. I have to say about that. <laughs> I'm also, I, I'm wondering, because th- this was the chapter where we were really introduced with Florence, um, how she, and it has nothing to do with what you just dropped, but I just yeah. like, need to mention well, this I about dropped Florence. that out of left field. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing related to that. No, but I'd like, I, not to like keep on like going, talking about Florence, but Florence, like, she just made. She me is think an of, overbearing figure. She is in, this, and, in the story. And, and in didn't the house. she? Didn't she remind you guys of Auntie Taiwo? Because oh. she was an overbearing figure in My Sister the Sailor Killer. Yeah, didn't she remind you of Betty's mother-in-law, who was also named Florence? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. Right. Yep. Right. It's like women that think they are in control or want to be in control. Right. And there is no other way than their way or it's the highway. Like, right. literally. Yeah. I do think that Florence has a little bit of, like, an inferiority-superiority complex going totally. on. Where, like, I think she tries to cut Noemi down because she thinks Noemi thinks she's above them. Mm-hmm. And so Florence tries to be like, to, no, like, no, put no, her no. In her place. you're here, sweet. Yeah, so yeah. There's, like, a weird fight going on between those two almost immediately, I feel like. It, yeah, as she soon didn't as they even meet, start it comes it. out. Yeah, she didn't even shake her hand. She like totally dismissed her when she said hi. It was just right. a very awkward exchange. Noemi says she offers her hand and Florence regards it like a cold dead fish or something yeah. like that. What that's a mad, biatch. That's mad rude, girl. <laughs> Somebody comes to your house. I know, seriously. <laughs> and, she's, and, and Noemi is there to help. She's not, I mean... Well, yeah, depending on what their uh, their interests are, they might not see it that way. Mm-hmm. These Doyles. Yeah. The quote mm-hmm. the quote even that Florence says to her about the oil lamps, even a simpleton can understand the basic principles. She just like really gives it to her. Yeah, totally. super bitchy. Speaking of oil lamps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of oil lamps, I have drop them some, up. Drop some wisdom about those oil lamps, Emma. <laughs> Tell us how you feel about those oil lamps. I just want to never be able to say that sentence again. <laughs> I want to. I want to live in that for a minute. I have a feeling Mariana and I will be repeating it with a lot of frequency. So speaking of oil, oil lamps, lamps. <laughs> instead of ladies, now it's speaking of oil lamps. <laughs> No, but really, speaking of oil lamps, here I have another another little nugget that I just have to drop because I, you guys, I I'm telling, I had a okay. lot of them in this book. I was like, You're this should be a thing. Got it. This drop the mic. This author makes many mentions of a few specific things: mm-hmm. the light refracted from the oil lamps. <laughs> she mentions the oil lamps. 
Okay, this is a really big one. There's a lot of mention of specific colors, particularly green. I feel like on almost every page of the book, there is something that is green. It Mm, is a a color of a pillow on a couch. It's a color of a shirt. It's a color of wallpaper. Mm. It's a color of a flower. Mm. But it's like green, 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 green. So I'm like, what's happening here? She makes an effort to like note it, Mm -hmm. that it's green. Totally. And snakes. Yeah. There is a lot of mention of snakes. There's a lot of mention of serpents. I have a theory about this. <gasps> I have a theory too. I can't wait to hear yours. Okay, I want to hear those theories. I'm not getting them on now. I'm just dropping it for yeah, later. Yeah, same. Mine's later too. I okay. Are we blue balling each other again? We're blue <laughs> balling okay, the episode. Fuck, okay, all right. Something I did want to bring up though, off of that, Emma, is that like I also feel like almost immediately it seems like at first. At first, Noemi regards the house as a house, right? Like the window won't open and it's just like normal. A window won't open. Right. But then like very soon into the book, I think it's even on the first night that she's there. She her phrasing about the house sort of changes. Mm. And she says this house with all its fabrics and rugs and tassels could smother a whole army. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I felt a little bit like it's just you've only been here a few hours. And one minute ago, like just the window wouldn't open. It's right. not like the house was keeping you in. But now all of a sudden the house has a will mm. and it could smother a whole you. It's army. like a living, breathing thing. Yeah. It, yeah. I did wonder, like, is she already being invaded by whatever this house does to people? And is she already on some level becoming aware that maybe this house is like alive mm-hmm. or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Catalina later mentions that there's a dampness to the house. It's always damp and dark yes. and so very yes. cold. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. a morgue oh oh i just thought of that which also like feeds into the mist too you know like when it's foggy out it just always feels wet the moistness the moistness (laughs) she got so close to the mic (laughs) another question i I just wanted to make sure i was heard You I are felt heard that always. What did Ricardo do to us? Ricardo, this drink? this drink is strong, girl. It's this two and a half ounces of booze, three ounces of booze, three and one ounces, cocktail, and y'all have got right. three piled on. I see you. Yeah, and once right. you're on your second one, so how many ounces of alcohol is that? <laughs> Don't ask me to do the math. (laughs) Speaking of drinking things, this is a bad segue because I actually really love what we're drinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But there was there's also all this mention of that of the drink that they kept giving her this dark, sweet wine that was disgusting. (gasps) And I was like, is it? Are they drugging her? Is it blood? Like what? What is that? It's not wine. Poison. Poison. Some sort of way of poisoning. Well, I wondered in that moment, I just immediately thought of like vampires. And I wondered like, is it possible that the members of this family aren't human or are they not alive? Are they all like ancient beings that feed on the human soul, Mm. like Catalina's soul to stay Mm -hmm. young? Like Mm -hmm. there's something going on with they're they're not quite normal. At all. At all. And I don't know. 
other than aside from them seeming like they're not human or they're just like not of this world, just the way they interacted with each other and specifically mm-hmm. the way that they interacted with Noemi. Yeah. Especially in their first interaction, like Uncle Howard. Right. When he started talking to Noemi and immediately came out with, huh, as he's examining her, you are much darker than your cousin. And yeah. it was just like that kind of started round. So rallying. awkward. It was just it was not what I expected. And I mm. didn't know how that would evolve. Well, and it's clearly not what Noemi expected either at all. It's it, it. She then goes on to say or the author goes on to say that that Noemi's presence was like a novelty and all alteration to their patterns mm-hmm. or what they were normally used to. She was an organism introduced into a sterile environment, which I don't think if this environment was very sterile, but she absolutely was something that they weren't necessarily She's something expecting. New. Yeah. yeah. What I really liked is that she basically stood up for herself in this moment because she had learned through experiences that especially with men, I'm assuming, mm. that showing any kind of reaction to someone's crude remarks emboldened them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she basically like just didn't, it didn't phase her. And, and you could see that it seemed to me that all of them were watching her to see how she would react. And yep. she basically like shut them down. And she clocks it and she knows. And she yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and interesting. Then this led us into this whole like, we started reading about their their discussion about natural selection and Yo. what race is superior or inferior. And I was like, whoa, where is this going? Right. Yeah. And where I is it like, coming from? Oh, right. So what is this guy doing? Uncle Howard is... Mm-mm. He's got some interesting interests, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I love the way she turned this conversation around on him. Because he thinks he's referring to Europeans as a superior race as he's talking to her. But she uses her knowledge and the things she has studied Mm -hmm. to give him a subtle little middle finger when she says that actually natural selection has allowed the indigenous people of this continent to survive here. So actually, Europeans benefit from intermingling with With them. them. And then something that Howard kind of comments on in this chapter caught my attention. He says that Catalina has more of the French in her. Right. And Noemi has more of the bronze. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I always find it fascinating when people find out that I'm of Mexican descent. I always get asked whether I'm, quote unquote, full Mexican. Hmm. Uh, and it's because, like Catalina, I think I possibly have more of the European in me. But I find that people don't really understand that before the conquest happened, there were indigenous cultures, people that were indigenous to the land that is now Mexico. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That the, you know, after the conquest happened, Europeans took over the continent and intermingled with the indigenous people there. So there are still indigenous people in Mexico. Mm -hmm. There are many, many, many different languages spoken that are not just Spanish. Correct. But for someone like me to be Mexican, it means to be mixed, to be of both indigenous and European descent. Mm. So I can only assume that to be a quote unquote full Mexican would mean to be indigenous. But I'm not sure most people understand the history of that and how like complicated it is. It and it and it is so complicated. And I'm so glad that you bring that up because it's there's such a stereotype to what a Latino, a Hispanic, mm-hmm. or a Spanish person should look like. Yes, oh my I God. wanted to ask the, you both about that. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and it's infuriating to me. And I actually didn't, I don't know if I've ever told either of you this, but I didn't phase that as much as when I moved to New York. Because mm. when people started hearing me speak, they're like, wait, there's an accent there. And I never really thought I had an accent. So that was kind of like a thing. And they're like, well, where are you from? Well, mm -hmm. I, I'm very proud of my heritage. So I said, I'm from Bogota, Colombia. Oh, really? Wait, wait what does that mean? And right. then I started learning that it's because I'm so pale skinned. I'm so light skinned yeah. that mm -hmm. I would not represent your typical Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, but that's but I don't understand why what what I look like on the outside would then influence the way that that you would think that I that I should be or should not be like I am I actually am full-blown Colombian I mean as far as like my parents are concerned mm -hmm. right both of my parents were born in Colombia grandparents born in Colombia and I was born in Colombia yes I do have Mediterranean somewhere in me I have mm -hmm. Japanese somewhere in me I have Spanish somewhere in me And it's just for me to be judged that I'm not Latina enough because of the way yeah. the color of my skin is it just. And, and that's why I think I got so riled up when I heard Uncle Howard say, well, you look so much darker than your cousin. It's like because Latinos come right in every shade of color. Right. And he also seems to favor the fact that Catalina has the, the more French Look yeah. versus Noemi's bronze look. And I when he said that, it just brought back memories to me of like some of my aunts who are lighter skinned. Mm. And so to them, they like to say that they have more of the Spanish in them It's versus so the like Mexican in them. So Because to them, to be to have more of the Spaniard in you means that you're higher status or something, which is such a weird and like meaningless <laughs> delineation yeah, but absolutely. for them it's very important they have it more of the spanish uh i wanted to talk about this i i found it really curious that throughout these chapters we learned that noemi was very particular about her appearance mm -hmm. and how she basically overdresses for every occasion which is yeah. Sounds like someone I know. <laughs> Other than that. You begin. We <laughs> have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, okay, but this is very on par with the Colombian culture, okay? I'm not blaming it on just me. I was okay. raised up. Oh, anyway. So she changes. You woke <clears throat> up like this? Is that the argument? I did. I did. She changes up her get-ups to stand out. Bring attention to a certain of her, a certain asset of hers. Asset. Or asset. asset. It. Uh-huh. <laughs> Or to simply change the way she feels about the circumstances she finds herself in. Yeah. Have you ladies ever experienced that? Do you feel like, have you clocked that when you guys do that, that you specifically chose, choose some sort of piece of wardrobe or you accentuate your lip color or anything depending on the circumstance that you're in is mm. do you guys do that at all i was actually just gonna say i um i don't put too much thought and effort into my wardrobe <clears throat> if i'm being really honest But if I do want to feel fancy or if I want to feel like sexy, um, I will put on like a, like a bold lip color, like a red lipstick mm. kind of always like automatically puts me in that in that mindset. Um, and then like a, a great 
big pair of like flashy earrings. Like my <laughs> accessories are kind of what how I elevate. Gives you your mojo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little plug, if anyone wants some like beautiful art for your ears, my friend oh. Molly, Molly Virginia Maid, makes beautiful, bold fashion statement earrings. And you should check oh. her out on Instagram oh. at Molly Virginia Maid. And hey, she nice. will make earrings that make you feel like a thousand bucks when you put them on. Whoa! I love that. I want to feel like a thousand bucks. I know, seriously. I'm telling you, <laughs> I never get compliments on anything that I wear except for her earrings. And when I wear her earrings, I get compliments every single time. Wow. Not that I wear them for compliments. They're just that beautiful. <laughs> yeah, right. At this point, you wear them for the fucking compliments. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I don't. Well, I can't say that I'm similar to Emma. I can't say that I'm particular about it with clothing, but definitely when it comes to my surroundings or like what I'm looking at, it definitely affects me. Colors do. And Mm. my mom is like that, too. Mm. The colors she surrounds herself with definitely have the power to like shift her moods. Interesting. And interestingly, I did a biofeedback session once and the therapist I worked with told me that my body and my eyes craved the color green (gasps) and she told me that I should wear it or have a stone with me that I can look at throughout the day and I'm totally open to the idea that she might have planted that in my head and that it might be some kind of placebo effect thing but I do feel different when I look at the color green oh my interesting whoa 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 and that's an interesting connection to this book right too (laughs) Because we're drinking a green cocktail as well. Oh, cheers to that. And Emma finally brought up the first cheers. I think this is the first time. I've I've been trying. (laughs) I really want to get into my next theory. Oh, God. <laughs> Your next nugget. <laughs> yeah, I guess actually it is more Tell of a us. nugget because okay. <laughs> embarrassingly enough. Oil lamps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of the oil lamp. <laughs> speaking of oil lamps, I think the Garden of Eden is a huge theme in this book. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had oil lamps. In the I actually, I really want to bounce this off of you two because embarrassingly okay. enough, I feel like I don't actually have enough knowledge to back this up but i know there's something there okay hear me out okay okay so as i was saying all of this repetition of flowers and the color green Mm -hmm. and snakes Mm -hmm. and eugenics and and then there's this latin phrase above the mausoleum et verbum caro factum est which obviously Mm -hmm. i knew because i took latin for five years just kidding. I had to Google it. Yeah. I was going to say, what? I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> I did take Latin for five years, but pfft. so it means the word wow. made flesh. Which is biblical. Yes, I did have to look that up as well. Okay. <laughs> Apparently the word is Jesus. I didn't know that. It's Jew over here. So anyway, as I'm reading, I was like, I kept feeling all this like garden. Was that inappropriate? You, you both are covering <laughs> no, your faces. It's hilarious. It so Am I not allowed to say just, that? I can say that. No, no, you can, you can say, say that. that. But I just didn't want to interrupt you with my snorts and my <laughs> I, laughter. I just was a bitch and snorted through it. But Anyway, <laughs> as I'm reading, I just kept feeling like there was something having to do with the Garden of Eden. And then I remembered that at the 
very beginning of the book, when Noemi is attending the costume party, she said that one of mm-hmm. her friends was going to dress as Eve with the snake wrapped around her neck. And that right. came back to me. And so I haven't fully f- fleshed out, pun intended, how this comes into play. But I feel like there is something here about the Doyles feeling like their home is the Garden of Eden. The garden being a place of, I don't know, maybe abundant fertility. Mm, um, this whole relationship that we're seeing mm. now about the superior sex and, yep. you know, the men believed that they were the superior sex, but then the woman, Eve, because of the snake, bit the apple, and then she was like, I have the wisdom, and everyone was pissed. I'm trying to, like, figure this out. But I don't know. I feel like there's something pretty biblical happening here, and I wanted to Hmm. work it out with you two. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because... Going back to my question earlier, I wondered whether the Doyles aren't human at all and Mm -hmm. human at all. And when I looked up all the snake imagery and the snake eating their own tails, I found out this is a symbol, actually, of eternal cyclic renewal or a cycle of life, death, and rebirth. The skin-sloughing process of snakes, Mm -hmm. you know how they shed how they shed their skin mm-hmm. right it symbolizes the transmigration of souls which is the soul moving from one body one container to, to another the one Ooh. the snake biting its own tail is also a fertility symbol uh-huh. the tail of the snake is a phallic symbol and the mouth is like a womb-like symbol this is especially concerning because of the dream that noemi has at the very end of the chapters we read this week which I can talk about later, but could it be that the process of soul transmigration has begun through the sexual nature of these dreams, yes. just like the snake eating its tail? Yes. And I was like, are the Doyles some kind of non-human, yes. immortal creature that unfortunately requires something from humans in order to survive or revive themselves as they age? And then Howard's question during that first dinner... He said, what are your thoughts on the intermingling of superior and inferior Mm -hmm. types? Mm -hmm. It's offensive to Noemi because she assumes he must be talking about race. But I thought, could he actually be talking about the intermingling of species? And then to overlay this on your Garden of Eden theory, Emma, it would be like the birth of a new Adam and Eve, a human and uh, like whatever they are, whatever whatever their being is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. That, that's that what, is fascinating. That's what I came up with. That's my nugget. No, I love that. Because even Noemi describes Howard Doyle as very pale, like an underground creature. Right. So there are little, you there get little, little glimpses. Yes. She also in that first dinner describes him looking at her as if he's vivisecting her. And right. so that again hints at like two different species yeah. like examining each other or something. And I wow. also feel like Francis is maybe dead because mm. oh. when he gives Noemi his sweater, he swears that he won't ever be cold. Cold. As if he doesn't uh, have a soul or he's already dead. That mm-hmm. that had not occurred to me, actually. And the dark circles under the eyes so and him being really pale. I think those are those are sprinkled in there as well. But uh-huh. they are. But then the later mention of Noemi having dark circles under her eyes makes me question right. that theory. But him never being cold. I was like, mm. 
why? Like he like he it has no blood weird. in his veins. So maybe it's not that he's dead. Yeah, like you're saying, he's just not human. He's not human. And yeah. then that's why the whole eugenics thing comes into play. It's like trying to create something that's not. Do snakes have blood in their bodies? I think so. They're cold-blooded, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. They're cold-blooded. JK. Just like Francis might be. <gasps> yeah. I kept wondering about the servants because they're similar oh, to the yeah. family. They're so stoic. They're very cold to know me. Like I kept wondering, are they are they in the same boat as the Doyles or are they real people? Because they're really mean to her. They don't acknowledge her when she tries to be super friendly. She tries to talk to them and they just like similar to Florence, they just like shut her down and I could not grasp what was going on with these they're the only other people in the house what the fuck is going on with these servants well I guess following through with those theories that you both have mentioned I do feel that the servants are still living Hmm. because Florence always says that I run high place and therefore if you need anything you should come to me we do things a certain way here Mm -hmm. and we expect you to follow the rules Mm -hmm. which means that these servants because they are servants, yeah. they have to follow protocol. They have to follow the rules. And if they're still living, that's why they have to act a certain way towards no ME so she doesn't find out exactly what is going on in this Doyle mansion. So you think the servants react this way to no ME. You think that comes from Florence. You think that's yeah. like a direct... From the higher power. It's like, this is how you behave. Because they the this town, El, tri- el Triunfo... And this area, it's so um, underpoverished. Impoverished. Impoverished. Sorry. They're happy to have a job. (laughs) Don't be sorry. You have nothing to apologize for. Right. So it's whatever... Whatever they can find. Exactly, yeah. Brandy. They've, they're happy to have a job, so they have to listen to their higher power, and they have to follow through with what they're told to do. That makes sense. Yep. I'm curious, too, what y'all made of Noemi reading this book. This is related. Noemi <laughs> reading this book called Witchcraft, mm. Oracles, and Magic Among the Azande. Right. Do we? That's yeah. correct, yeah? Azande? Azande. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't know what that was, so... I googled it. <laughs> so, witchcraft among the Zande people of North Central Africa is evil magic used to Black inflict magic. harm on an individual. <laughs> what? She said black magic. I was like, She's black magic. I'm pumped yes, about this. Yes, Brandy, this is really for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you may be onto something in this book. Finally. <laughs> I know. It took you just another novel to finally bring it out. <laughs> so it's evil magic used to inflict harm on an individual and is the cause of all unusual or terrible events that take place. Oh. The belief in witchcraft is present hmm. in every aspect of Zande society. They believe it is a power that can only be passed on from a parent to their child. Hmm. That is, I think the key in all of that where I was like, I think that has something to do. We, as we've been discussing this, I feel like there's a lot of holes and we have a lot of questions about these Doyles and Mm -hmm. the uh, familial, like the family tree and who is related to who. And Mm -hmm. as we read later, there is a lot of talk about the, the, the patriarch Howard Doyle and 
their kids. And I just, you know, related to what we're saying about the eugenics and the the species and keeping it in the family and and now this whole new thing about the Garden of Eden and the fertility mm. and blah blah blah. Mm. I don't know. I feel like this was not just um, yeah. This wasn't ignorantly placed in the book that she. It's happens mentioned to be a couple of times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good call. I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah. Sort of on a similar note, I think there might be going something going on with mushrooms in this oh. book too they keep coming up yeah on her first night they serve mushrooms in a quote-unquote unappealing Mm. creamy white sauce oh right then she notices the mold on the wallpaper in her bedroom and she recalls the piece of history about victorians that had been accidentally killing themselves this way with fungi chomping on wallpaper paste and emitting noxious fumes or something Mm-hmm. And then later, there's the mention of the golden woman's face, which yeah. is golden like that of the mushrooms on the wall. And mushrooms do have hallucinogenic properties. Right. And I wondered, could the walls be laced with mushrooms that cause hallucinations that <gasps> allow the Doyles to do whatever sinister shit they're up to? I don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody who's ever taken mushrooms, but... That seems like something that could be a thing. I don't know. That is such an interesting talking point, Brandy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder how that feels like. I don't I have any a, idea. I, I don't, Personally, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any clue. It's a fascinating theory, and I, it's fascinating to think about. Well, it makes me wonder too if maybe they are putting like mushrooms in the in the like dark sweet wine, and they're drugging her with it. So maybe she is hallucinating a little bit. Interesting. I wonder if the reactions that Catalina and Noemi are having are consistent with what a mushroom trip would be like. Would be like. I don't know. I wouldn't know, Brandy. I wouldn't know. I don't know know anything about that. So then in chapter five. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. What about those oils? Chapter five. (laughs) (laughs) So then in chapter five, Catalina tells Noemi that, quote unquote, they are listening from within the walls and that Noemi will start to hear them, too. Again, I thought this could be that those mushrooms. It could be (laughs) something. (laughs) It could be those oil lamp mushrooms. (laughs) It could be something from within the walls. And then Catalina asks Noemi to get this medicine for Um. her from town in secret and am i wrong or does it seem like virgil and florence don't know about this medicine or that she's taken it seems like something she's doing in secret oh i totally think she's doing it in secret yeah i don't think they are aware of it at all yeah ditto yeah same i wrote this quote women needed to be liked or they'd be in trouble a woman who is not mm-hmm. liked is a bitch, and a bitch can hardly do anything. I think this is actually at the top of chapter six. It's when she's trying to get right. the car from Francis to get into town. She's trying to get to town, and she doesn't want Francis to drive her. She doesn't want anybody Thank to go with you. her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so she notes that. And I did have a question about that. I thought, why does Francis help her? He sort of argues back and forth with her for a second about it. But then ultimately, he lets her take the damn car, even though he knows Florence ain't going to like this. Right. Yeah, he's very sweet to her. Yeah. 
he seems to sort of be the only person who is on her side yeah. in a couple of different points of the book, but I can't quite figure out why yet. I don't have an answer for that, unfortunately. I, I also have the same question, but I don't know how that's how that's going to come into play yet. Yeah. So then Noemi goes to town. She talks to the town doctor, right? The town yep. doctor. The doctor first, yep. And then Martha, the woman Martha who made the medicine. Mm-hmm. So something I wanted to bring up is the doctor, Dr. Camarillo, describes the symptoms of the epidemics the miner suffered as a high fever, very tricky. People would say the oddest things. They'd rant and rave. They'd have convulsions. They'd attack each other. People would get sick, they'd die, then all would be well. And a few (laughs) years later, again, the mystery illness would strike. Mm. It seems to me that every time this vampire fucking family needs a boost or whatever, they start killing people. These symptoms seem very similar to what Catalina is suffering. If they're vampires or some other species, could they have been feasting on these miners or... With Howard's obsession with eugenics, could they have be- been doing experiments on them? And was this the pa- the epidemic that swept through the mine? I feel like there's something there that I don't think I don't think it was a I don't think it was an epidemic that swept through that mine. I think oh, the absolutely soils not. were doing some shit. I agree in that with that. Well, I was going to talk about this later, but I feel like that really ties into what you just said. Uh, something I thought was interesting is that later in chapter seven, we read for the first time about Richard, who is Florence's husband. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And he, the author makes a note to say that he was super talkative and right. he was found at the bottom of the ravine because mm-hmm. he had broken the house rules. You know, they're very strict in this house that you don't talk during dinner. You don't talk a lot. You don't talk loudly. Yeah. Well, Richard was very talkative and then was found dead, which goes back to my theory right. about the servants is I also think that they are living and I think that they are so scared of breaking the rules because they know that if they talk like Richard did and like probably a lot of other characters did that we haven't even met yet, that they could right. have True. the same fate. True. Yeah. So that's that's my two cents. Well, speaking about pa- spouses... There was also something that was mentioned in Chapter 7 where um, Noemi is looking around again in the house and then she's talking to Howard and she sees these two oil paintings of these two women that look very similar to one Mm -hmm. another. And then Howard basically says a woman's function is to preserve the family line. Yeah. And he goes on to express that that these two women... Were his wives. Right. So he he starts saying that Agnes, his first wife, died of a disease, which we don't know what disease that was, when she was, she actually was pregnant at that time. Right. But she died. Right. But then he moved on to a younger, more fruitful sister, Mm -hmm. which was Alice. Right. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about this. So I imagine Both of who also were his cousins. Did we say that? Uh, they're his cousins. They're his cousins. And so they're all sisters. Like in the family. And he married them both. Yeah. 
keeping okay. that superior so, race alive. Right. Totally. So I'm curious, and I don't know if you guys read this or if you guys th- thought about this, but I'm imagining that Virgil is kind of now doing the same thing. Mm. He started Ooh. his life with Catalina, oh. but found or soon found that he desired a more beautiful, more fruitful, ideal wife who is who? Noemi. Noemi. Ew. And that's why she is now at the Doyle Mansion. Y'all, I have a whole theory about this. <laughs> I have like a whole thing about Get into this. it. Do it. So something I kept thinking about in this section is that he he says, Howard says, Agnes passed away shortly after their arrival to this region. She was right. pregnant when disease took her away, just like you said. And I thought back to that comment that Noemi had made earlier about natural selection allowing mm. the Native people to thrive here. Agnes, mm. in her vulnerable, pregnant state, maybe wasn't strong enough to survive here. Her, her European roots weren't strong enough. But it made me wonder why Alice, Howard's second wife and Agnes's mm-hmm. sister, mm-hmm. was able to survive and give birth. And it made me think back to those minds and with his crazy ideas about eugenics, whether Howard could have been using those miners native to this land to experiment and try to form his quote-unquote superior race and help his family thrive. Huh. Which brings me... To the ghost in Noemi's dream. The ghost in this steamy (laughs) dream starts out being Howard and then it becomes Virgil. Yeah. Which could support Emma's theory about the book she was reading on witchcraft. Something is being passed from the father Mm -hmm. to the son. To the son. Mm. And Noemi is possibly going to be impregnated as the mother of their new superior species or race or whatever. Something I thought that I found interesting about (gasps) snakes. And again, forgive me, this is going to seem unrelated, but I'm going somewhere. I promise. (laughs) Snakes are actually hugely important in Mexican history. So when the Aztecs were looking for a place to settle, they were told, I think it was by one of their gods, that when they saw a golden eagle <gasps> eating a snake on a cactus, they would know they had found their place to settle. So they oh. roamed around and finally they saw this site, which is where they built their ancient city of Tenochtitlan, which is where present day Mexico City is. And which is oh. why... The Mexican flag has at its center an eagle Uh standing on a cactus Uh holding a snake in its talon. So it's an origin story, just like as we were talking about earlier, the the Garden of Eden Eden. is an origin story. So this was the beginning of a massive era of prosperity and dominance for the Aztecs. And it started with a golden eagle. Or a golden ghost woman eating a snake (laughs) on a cactus. And if we remember back to chapter one, Mm -hmm. Noemi was supposed to go to this costume party dressed Mm -hmm. as a jockey. Jockey. But instead, Mm -hmm. she wears a green dress with white applique flowers attached, which would look like a freaking cactus. I don't think all that's an accident. Of course not. Right? So... 
Silvia Moreno Garcia knew what she was doing. I think so. I think all this stuff supports our hypothesis that Howard is hopeful the high place can be at the Nochtitlan for his family, a little garden right. of Eden with a new superior Adam and a new Eve, which is possibly Noemi if they get away with what they're yeah. trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. fuck, I don't even think we have to finish reading the book now. You just kind of like solved everything. I know, you literally solved the Well, whole... with So I Married a Serial Killer, I, I know, we all have so many So theories, I Married so. a Serial Killer? That is not oh. the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Wait, did you have something to tell us? That's what I would have called it. <laughs> what is it called? I married Wait, I want to cheers to that massively like, in I know. Depth. Kudos to Theory. you. Yes, bitch. But did you guys have any thoughts about this ghost? This ghost in the final. This was such I a just thought about thing. the wet dream that happened during the. <laughs> there it was, was hot. It, it was. It was like, it was like a porno hot. at the very end. <laughs> I was like, wait, what am I reading right now? All right. Like All right. a, it was steamy, like a Danielle Steele novel. <laughs> Noemi is getting all the goods from this Virgil. I know. Maybe Howard. We don't know. All right. So I have a final question for the two of you. (laughs) Mm. This book really got me. It really got me thinking. And the end, the point where we ended even more. Get you thinking. (laughs) Holy shit. How much more can you think? I was thinking. (laughs) My little wheels were turning. And I wanted to ask you both. Because mm-hmm. this last moment is such a cliffhanger with this ghost. And I wondered whether the two of you believe in ghosts and whether you've ever been fucked by one in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> she has sex with a ghost. <laughs> Well, I've been drunk this whole episode, y'all. How do you say are these women drunk? Están borrachas estas chicas? Sí. Sí están. Oh, God. Out with it. One of you has fucked a ghost, I can tell. <laughs> well, I can't say that I that I <laughs> that's true. But I did have a massive crush on Devin Sawa as Casper the Ghost. <laughs> so did I. And I think that I what? wish that's that weird. that had been true. I so did I. I loved right? him in He's Casper. in the movie really? as like a real person for like 35 seconds and he I was is, like he was man of my so dreams hot. Casper the ghost oh Devin my Sawa, god that's let's hilarious go. but were you still attracted to him when he was Casper <laughs> like a cartoon <laughs> ghost yeah <laughs> well once I knew what he looked like yeah probably <laughs> 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 we know I have a thing for cartoons Prince Eric was like my my that's crush true. that is true that's true. Cartoon ghosts, though, that's like a whole new level. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that is a whole new level. Well, speaking of movies, I actually, I was obsessed with Patrick Swayze. Oh. And Dirty Dancing. And Ghosts. 
and, and then it's ghost. I have so, to admit, I've never seen ghost. What is wrong with you, Emma? I know the famous scene with the pottery, no, but like you I've need never to seen watch the movie. it. You need it's to so watch good. that. It's really so Demi good. Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg, and Patrick Swayze. Oh my god! I mean, and the other guy, what's his name? He was in Network. I know he's fantastic. Recently. He was in the Network too. Goodwin, so something Goodwin. Yes, he's he's, so he's really amazing. great. In it he was too. in Scandal too. He's fucking amazing. Right, the president. Yeah. Oh yes, it. I love him. All right, yeah. down to brass tags. Did you fuck a ghost? Do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> I mean, I'm fucking so fucking afraid of ghosts. Really? <gasps> you are so afraid of ghosts. Interesting. I okay. I feel like there is a part of me that really believes in them, but I'm so afraid of them. Really. <gasps> okay, so we'll get to ghost stories at some point. Yeah, we'll get to ghost you, stories. You believe, but you're afraid, so you could yes. never come. Okay. Yes. Emma. Yes. Yes, I believe in ghosts, and I've never been fucked by a ghost. <laughs> but but I wish that Casper had been my fate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I wish that past Patrick Swayze, Johnny. Okay. No, he wasn't Johnny. In Ghost, what was his name? I forgot his name in, in Ghost. Anyway, Patrick Swayze would have fucked me in Ghost. Yeah. Well, now that he's dead, you could, your dream oh, could no. come true. <laughs> Too dark. You think I'm going to cut that? I'm not going to cut that. (laughs) So for my part, I do believe in ghosts, and I've never had sex with one, but I'm hopeful that (laughs) reading this book will open up that possibility for me. Maybe, maybe with the help of some mushrooms. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. (laughs) Jason, Emma, oil lamp. Ladies, (laughs) ladies, all right, you guys. (laughs) Wow, wow, thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Funness and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Yeah, (laughs) okay, I want to give a shout out. To Olga Elliott. Olga! We love you, Olga. You are a much-needed voice in our lives, lady. That's right. She tuned in to our episode last week and gave us a fabulous review. So thank you, Olga. Thanks, Olga. (laughs) For joining our happy hour. So, um, listeners, who will be next? Subscribe. 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 We're waiting to hear from you. Yay! And rate and review. Come on. Next week, we'll be reading chapter 8 through the end of chapter 14. And have you followed us on Instagram yet? If not, head to at Are These Books Drunk to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy hour. Yeah, bitches. Adios, chicas.